Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Consumer's Law Journal on Law Talk Radio. This is your host, Nick Augustine, the law publicist. This show is brought to you by Law Publicist Communications, a professional services marketing, public relations, and practice management agency serving Chicagoland professional and law firms and services firms. Here at Law Publicist Communication, we assemble an image to project and encourage the success of our clients. We help Chicago lawyers work with legal marketing, copywriting, and public relations. Get on the map and stay there with Law Publicist Communications. Today, our guest is Michael Helfland. He has been a Chicago attorney since 1997 with a focus on trying to change the way people find attorneys and legal information. In 2001, he launched FindGreatLawyers.com, a statewide network of like-minded attorneys who... Sorry about that. Statewide network of like-minded attorneys who talk in plain English, only pursue legitimate cases, and fight for their clients. Mike recognized that the unique facts of uh, many cases determine who is the right lawyer for the case. His network makes sure that a goal and reality that hundreds of lawyers he partners with statewide have achieved unmatched success for their clients. It's a happy 10th year anniversary, by the way, for fine, great lawyers. We do welcome our callers today. We have a great show for you this afternoon. I invite your questions uh, or counterpoint if you want to call in, 917-889-9732. Press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. That telephone number again is 917-889-9732, option 1 for the queue. By way of quick disclaimer, this is a general information program. The advice shared on the show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary based on facts and location. Communication with attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship, Programming is politically neutral and objective. Counterpoints to views expressed are always welcomed. Law Talk Radio is produced by Law Publicist Communications. Law Talk Radio does not necessarily endorse all of the opinions expressed by guests. Finally, all callers remain confidential and all rights to this broadcast are reserved. Uh, moving forward, uh, by way of subject matter here, again, today Law Talk Radio is happy to bring this uh, month's episode with Michael Helfland, and we're going to talk about the articles and commentary published in the Chicago Real Law blog, printed in the Chicago Tribune's Chicago Now publication. Here are some of the uh, titles we're going to discuss today. Number one, can a judge get worse than this? Two, putting the jury in charge. Three, Illinois workers' compensation reform, what happened? Uh, fourth, top ten things uh, to ask a lawyer. Five, lawyer behaving badly. Six, 13 reasons why lawyers aren't successful. A seven, the truth about sharing a lawyer. Eight, breaking up can be easy to do. Um, and uh, maybe we'll get to a little more, but uh, those look like some really interesting titles. So, Michael, we want to say hi uh, to you, and thank you again for being on our program again. Thanks for having me back, Nick. All right. Well, what have you been up to lately? <laughs> what have I been up to lately? Watching <laughs> yeah. a lot of bad baseball and sweating a lot lately. <laughs> it is it is terribly hot. Um, and uh, I guess the one thing that I will say about being a Cubs fan is going to Wrigley is always a a much cooler uh, place with the uh, all the air from the lake. So um, there you go. Not 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 very hot as far as uh, stats right now. But uh, what can I do? So anyways, let's uh, let's jump right into this new set. Uh, tell us first about uh, the federal judges and their ethical rules. This is your first uh, uh, post here about can a judge get worse than this? What's going on here? Well, you know, there's a disciplinary board for lawyers, and then there's a disciplinary board for judges. 
and uh, they're run by separate organizations, and judges are supposed to follow something called the Code of Conduct for United States judges. And it's pretty basic stuff. I mean, you shouldn't take bribes. You shouldn't, you know, if you have a relationship with one of the parties, you should recuse yourself from the case. And one of them says you should not hold membership in any organization that practices uh, discrimination on the basis of race, sex, religion, or national origin, which certainly makes sense. It's, you know, a federal law. Um and you would not want to have a prejudiced judge deciding cases, considering that you know discrimination lawsuits end up in federal court. Um, not in Illinois, but down in Tennessee, there was a bankruptcy judge. And granted, even though it's a federal judge, they don't hear discrimination cases. But he was accused of belonging to a country club, doesn't allow women, doesn't allow blacks as full members. Um, he's got a pretty clear record of discrimination. Uh, and someone complained about it, rightfully so, because You'd think that type of person shouldn't be uh, a judge, but somehow uh, the judicial council that kind of decides what things are okay and what aren't, uh, it's made up of 18 judges, um, they decided that they he did not violate the code of conduct, and it was kind of crazy reasoning. And Basically, it said that you know, his response was, well, I was trying to make the club more diverse, uh, and that was my efforts to make it you know, more diverse, but... You know, it almost seems kind of insane if you think about it, like almost joining the KKK to make it more diverse or, you know, something like that. And beyond that, he was a member of this club for many, many years, and nothing has uh, changed. Um, the laws say that if you join one of these clubs and they don't end their discriminatory practices within two years, you're supposed to resign. Uh, guess how long he's been with this club? More than that? Fifteen years. Fifteen. Good Lord. Yes. So, you know, my take on this is it's just ridiculous that, you know, and maybe this is just hey, how they roll in Tennessee. Uh, you know, but it's ridiculous, and I can't imagine it happening in, in Chicago that a federal judge could have these views. And quite honestly, this hasn't gotten a lot of play in the media, and I'm you know, kind of surprised that it hasn't because to me it's a really controversial story. Yeah. What you know, what if someone uh, – what is some – I guess if you are a uh, uh, you know, practicing attorney, uh, you find someone like this, what's the proper thing to do, if anything? If you find that someone's like, engaged in something that's discriminatory? Yeah, yeah. What would, I mean, you, what, what would you do? Well, you know, it's, it, it can be tough for a lot of attorneys because you don't want to do anything that can jeopardize your case. Um, but you should go to this organization uh, – that regulates the judges, uh, and, and file a complaint. And quite honestly, I, I'm, I don't know who filed the complaint, but I'm thinking it's probably someone who would consider doing it anonymously if they had to be before the judge because, you know, fair or not, you know, you don't want to get the reputation as the person that brought down a judge because even if that judge is removed, you're going to have to go practice before his buddies all the time. Right. Uh, you know, and again, he's a bankruptcy judge. It's not like he's hearing equal employment opportunity cases. But on the other hand, if, especially if you're representing minority clients, you know, and there's a close call in a situation whether or not to discharge debt or not, just the perception that you're dealing with a racist, you know, would make me uncomfortable and certainly not make me happy to, you know, be before him. I had um, 
I talked to someone earlier who was in a in a court here in 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 Illinois. I'll, I'll not I'll say I'll omit where the person was, but um, he had a small claim case on a he was a white boat owner essentially, and uh, the judge did not like that he was a white boat owner, and he really felt that he uh, got a raw deal. Um, it was kind of like you know. Picked out, <laughs> very interesting thing. You know, it's one of those things that we don't expect is going on. But um, you know, judges are human and err just as well. Um, let's move on to the next one. Uh, I really like this: the putting the jury in charge and asking questions. Before you tell me your take on this, I think that it's good for the jury to know what's going on. And I think too often, um, you know, though juries tend to not really understand and not admit they don't understand what the, what's really happening. But uh, what's your thoughts on this piece? Well, there's some states that do it. I know they do it down in Arizona. And basically what the proposal is is that if you're sitting on a jury and you know you want to ask a question, and I can tell you uh, some jurors are just ignorant as to what's a relevant question and some jurors have some really good thoughts, you have the opportunity, if this proposal passes, to actually write your questions down and hand them into the judge, and then the judge will review them and uh, review them with the attorneys. Uh, and if... They think it's a good question and a relevant question. They'll put the person back on the witness stand and ask the questions. I think the best thing about this is it's going to make the jurors feel more empowered and feel more involved in the process. And you'll definitely get those, you know, lawyer wannabes that will, you know, think that this is their chance to shine and ask these great questions. And I'm sure there'll be some juries where you got the one guy or you know who's asking or trying to ask 40 different questions. Uh, but I think for the most part, it'll bounce off with people asking very thoughtful questions. And you, know, you take the Rob Blagojevich trial right now. I'm sure there's a lot of questions that those jurors have, and you know maybe the questions aren't being answered. And you look at Blagojevich; he's being pretty combative with the prosecution on the witness stand. Well, if the question's coming from a juror, you're less likely to be combative and hopefully more likely to be a little more earnest in what your answers are. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, how do you know uh, if many other states other than Arizona do this? How how common is this? I think there's like seven or eight states that do this. Um, you know, it's, the legal system is not, as you probably know, isn't really open to change, especially a, a drastic change like this. And the rebuttal <laughs> argument to this is, oh, it can make you know the cases take longer, uh, and you know trials always you know last long enough. But I think the account, you know, the answer to that concern is. Look, this isn't a free-for-all. You can't just ask any question you want whenever you want to ask it. Um, and a good judge who's in control of his courtroom is going to you know, keep things moving along. But for, for me, it's an opportunity to provide clarification and, hey, you know, maybe at least the jurors will enjoy what they're doing a little bit more and maybe be a little more engaged. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, again, get, having some ownership over what's going on um, is always an interesting is an interesting thing. And I'm curious if that's going to be taught in some of the trial uh, trial skills classes. There's um, a friend of mine, Ted, had, teaches a class over at Loyola, and I've participated a few times as a, a mock juror. And um, yeah, I'm curious as to wh- how they would deal with that. Um, you know, the students it, learning. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And it, it, and I think it could be good for the lawyers, too, because as a lawyer in a trial, you're always wondering and looking at the jurors, like, what are they thinking? And <laughs> you know, this at least is going to give you some insight, and I think it's actually going to help when it comes to closing arguments as far as you know, spinning the case the way you want it to be spun or making sure you're addressing things that seem to be concerning to people because 
You know, in Illinois, if one person's against you, uh, you lose. So where I mean, it's I really think that this is a good idea. So the Illinois Supreme Court is considering this. Uh, where is this now? They when do we when will we know anything? It's it's still in the consideration stage, okay. and they haven't given any indication as to when they'll act on it. Uh, if I think if they do act on it, it'll probably happen sometime this fall, and maybe get implemented early next year. Or what I could see them possibly doing if they don't, you know, put it in widespread, is maybe taking it for like a little test drive at a certain courthouse. Um, or certain, you know, maybe just for certain types of claims, um, you know, maybe felony criminal cases, maybe uh, just misdemeanors, maybe medical malpractice cases. I mean, something where, hey, let's just see how it goes before we, you know, put it in full board. But the reality is, if you look around the country, the jurisdictions that have done it, no one's complained about it. Everyone has positive things to say, and it, it really makes sense because, again, if you've got a judge who's in control, most of the concerns should go away. Right. Well, and again, back to my little experience with uh, the you know working with these trial skills classes. Uh, you know, sitting there as a juror, I had, did not have uh, the fact pattern on one of one of the occasions, and I was getting all these questions during the voir dire process, and I was trying to figure out what in the world they were looking for, um, and trying to almost trying to sniff where they were going. So uh, again, more the more interactive and the more team uh, approach I think that you make to um, into trial. Uh, the better. It's. I just think it's a really good thing. So, um, our next one here is the Illinois Workers' Compensation Reform. I heard something about this, but have not uh, stayed up on this. So glad you have. What's going on with work comp? Well, it's it's been a big discussion for many many months now. And what's interesting about it to me is, you know, here we are in Illinois. We've got a Democratic judge or Democratic governor, Democratic House, Democratic Senate, and certainly the you know, big supporters of the Democrats are organized labor and trial attorneys. And in my opinion, the Democrats, for the most part, sold out their constituents, you know, their bread and butter, their base, uh, with some of these reforms. Now, the biggest reform is actually going to hit doctors, not workers. And what they've done is basically said, all right, in a workers' compensation claim, an employer and their insurance company, they have to pay for 100% of medical care. So what would happen before, there was a, a fee schedule that determined how much to pay for a certain procedure. So let's say you have an MRI, and you know most of the time an MRI is supposed to go for $1,000, we'll say. Well, what they've done is they've cut those fees by 30% across the board. So if a doctor used to get 1000 for an MRI, now they're getting 700 If they used to get you know 200 for an office visit, uh, now they're getting 140 and so on and so forth. Uh, and they're expecting that this is going to save somewhere between 500 to 700 million dollars, which is great. Hey, you know, uh, but what's really sad about this legislation is there's a lot of things done to cut down benefits for employees and really make the the job harder for attorneys. Uh, carpal tunnel syndrome is a con common injury that secretaries get from repetitive, you know, nature of typing. Uh, a lot of line workers and machinists get carpal tunnel. They've basically cut drastically what those cases can be worth once you're all better. Um, they're asking arbitrators to consider what are called the AMA guidelines, American Medical Association guidelines, in determining determining what a case is worth. No one's really sure how that's going to play out, but in other states it's really you know drastically cut the value of these cases. And what really bothered me about this legislation is a couple things. Number one is just a lot of 
misinformed statements out there and a lot of people focusing on uh, you know things that might play nice in the paper like they, there was a lot of statements in the Tribune saying like oh if you're drunk on the job and get hurt you can still get benefits and that's just false and there's a state senator um, or state, state uh, member of the house named Tom Cross out of Oswego saying oh under the current law if you get hurt on Sunday at home playing football and you go to work on Monday and say you're hurt, you got hurt on the job you can get workers' compensation. And, and that's just a bunch of baloney uh, and something that's not true. But what really riles me up, Nick, is since 2005, which is the last time we put in some reform measures to cut the cost of workers' compensation in Illinois, the total amount of claims filed every year are down by about 40%. Now, it would seem to me if the claims are going down, what should go down with it? The cost of insurance. But You're somehow right. insurance insurance has gone up drastically to the point where Illinois is now supposedly the third most expensive state to get work comp insurance in. And nothing in this addressed the fact that insurance companies appear to be gouging people, and nothing in this addresses the fact that you know that you don't find insurance companies running away from Illinois. They're, in fact, we've got more insurance companies writing workers' compensation policies here than any other state in the country just because it's such a big profit center because somehow they're getting away with charging so much. And so for me, this is kind of reform that was unneeded, and you know the workers are going to get screwed. Yeah, uh, very difficult. Pro- you know, it's so many you know, hands in the cookie jar, uh, so to speak, in, in trying to figure out how to go through with reforms with different legislation, and this one seems to be very problematic. Again, you know, as a small business owner myself, uh, you know, I look at how much things like this eat into the budget, and um, it's it's tremendous. It's very difficult to do business sometimes with so much, uh, you know, rising costs, and it seems like there's no relief in sight. We're going to pause quickly for our first commercial break and then be back with Michael Healthland for more stories published in the Chicago's Real Law blog in the Chicago Now publication of the part of the Tribune Company. And our first commercial sponsor is the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Your business may be exposed to liability if your marketing materials and slogans infringe on another's intellectual property. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity and guard against trademark infringement, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting www.nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. Law office of Nancy K. Ducharme is there to help you with your advertising copy review. You can get in touch with Nancy today by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by dialing area code 708 708- Four 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 seven nine zero zero. Again, that number is seven zero eight four 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 seventy nine hundred. And our second commercial sponsor is Steve Fretzen and Sales Results. If you're an attorney who's struggling with developing your book of business, you should try calling Sales Results. For over six years, Sales Results has been helping attorneys to double or even triple their books through the Sales Results Business Development Coaching Programs. You can call them directly at area code 847-317-1575. Again, that's 847-317-1575. You can also visit them online at Sales Results Incorporated, Sales Results Inc., that is, 
www.lawtalkradio.com. Now back to our Law Talk Radio program. Again, we do encourage our listeners to call in with any questions. Telephone number is 917-889-9732, option 1. Uh, also, as many of you do find and listen to our shows in the archives, please don't be shy and drop us a line with your programming suggestions so we can bring you what you want to hear. Now back to our uh, program today with Michael Helfland. Our next column uh, that, and again, these are all, uh, you can find these all online at Chicago's Real Law blog. Uh, this next one we're going to talk about is 10 Things to Ask Your Lawyer. Now, this looks really funny. I'm just going to let you take this one. How's this? Oh, great, thanks. Um, <laughs> you know, some of these might sound like common sense things, but what's really shocked me of the years of helping people find attorneys is how many people are afraid to really give an interview to an attorney when they're thinking about hiring them. Yeah. Asking, you know, real questions and uh like the first one I mentioned is, you know, ask them what area of law do you practice? And of course, the attorney's going to probably tell you they handle whatever, you know, your situation is. Yeah. But what I'm telling people to think about is, well, how many different areas of law does the person practice in? And you know, if you find out that they're doing divorce, but also car accidents and DUIs and maybe some bankruptcy, and you know, that's what you call a jack of all trades attorney. And it's not to say that those people can't do a good job for you, but think about it like if you're getting surgery, would you have a guy that's doing cancer cases and knee operations and you know, strep throat and all that stuff, or would you go to someone that's just doing the same thing all day every day? Yeah, that's really, what gives you the best chance of success? Um, yeah. And, and, well, and it's you know, and uh, you know, one of the follow-up questions: If they do have a general practice, you know, how can they manage all those things? But I like this next one too: of the how long have you been practicing? Yeah, you know, there's there's no like magic number, uh, as far as like how long a lawyer has to be pr- practicing. But again, it's about what gives you the best chance of getting a good result. You know, to me. Ten years is really the magic number, uh, and again, that's not to say that a lawyer's been practicing for three years or whatever can't do a good job. And you know, even like on Governor Blagojevich's uh, defense team, you know, he's got two lawyers that've only been out of school for three years. Now, I think it's insane personally, and you know, they were getting kind of getting ripped by the judge a little bit. But you know, the more experience you've got, the better. You don't want anyone to be reinventing the wheel. Right. Having your case, you don't want them to come across something that they've never seen before. You know, on the flip side of that, I would, you know, caution people, and people don't like, sometimes don't like when I say this, but you should practice age discrimination in hiring an attorney. And by that I mean, when you find these lawyers that are in their 70s or 80s, or even some of them in their 60s, most of them don't want to be practicing law anymore. And if you think that they're kind of <laughs> half-asking it because, you know, they have to, or they're really working part-time, and spending half the time down in Florida, you know, and having some kid just out of school really do all the work. You know, if if they don't have the passion, that's an that's another problem too. Right, right. Well, they should be, uh, you know, I, my own personal opinion is um, that most of those individuals probably prefer to be managing a firm, um, and, uh, you know, you can phone that in um, from time to time, but actually being the one, you know, uh, going, putting the boxing gloves on and going to court, dealing with an opposing counsel who's obstreperous and whatnot. I mean, that's that's good for people who are, you know, really still, uh, you know, the way that I uh, say it, the the people in their, um, you know, 30s and 40s who are looking to prove themselves and make a name for themselves. That's uh, Those are the guys with the most um, 
uh, most into it. Uh, I've seen that too, uh, and you know I think I agree with the ten year mark because it seems uh, within ten years you sort of have seen enough different variations of how things play out, and that's what I think is the real value of a good attorney is someone who can predict what is likely to happen based on what's being presented. Absolutely, absolutely, and again, you know, there's nothing that guarantees a result, but you know. If you could do a case a hundred times, which would succeed the most is how I tell people how to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, out of all these, you've got we got ten. You know, we're not going to go through all these, but um, we have ten different uh, numbered uh, numbers on this list of one uh, c- considering hiring an attorney, what to look for, and uh, any other any of these other ones that you want to touch upon here. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I definitely think one of the most important ones is asking them to outline the process for the type of case that you're going to be going through. Mm-hmm. And every case is different, Nick, and you know, the, no one can guarantee what's going to happen in a case. But for me, it's all about setting expectations in the beginning. You know, if I hire you, when are you going to file a lawsuit? You know, if I call you, you know, when are you going to return my phone call? How quickly? Are you going to be handling my case, or is it going to be someone else? You know, how long should this case last? You know, what's our goal here? How are we going to reach that goal? If they can't answer questions like that, you're probably hiring the wrong firm. On the other hand, I find that if you lay out the expectations in the beginning about these you know, situations and the lawyer screws up and doesn't follow the things, you can come up and say, hey, Nick, remember I hired you back in June of 2011? We sat in your office and you said that you're going to file a lawsuit within two weeks. Well, here we, now, here we are now. It's two months later and you still haven't filed a lawsuit. Why? And I think that, that kind of, you know, I wouldn't call it aggression, but responsibility for your own life really kind of sets your case going down the right path. Right, right. I agree with that. Uh, the other thing I like here is the who's going to be handling my case. It will be you or someone else in your office. Again, this is sort of troubling because a lot of people fall in love or with uh, with the one lawyer that they hired, and you know they write them a sizable check. They want that. Per- that's the one. That's the person they chose. And I think that people need to be more, uh, you know, ask that question more. You know, do you have an associate who's going to court? Because I've heard from complaints from people all the time that so and so wasn't there. They sent someone from their office. They didn't know the case. Yeah, and there are a lot of lawyers in Chicago, especially who've really just branded themselves as you know a name, and some of them haven't been, seen a courtroom for five or ten years. And people think that they're hiring that guy because his name's on the, the door, and he meets with you the first time you come through the door. But right. then they find out it's this kid that's been out of school for four years is the one doing most of the work, or one of their partners that they've never even met before. And again, it's all about expectations and setting those expectations. Well, and because especially the four, I mean, the person, if it's a simple thing, the person who's four years out may be completely, uh, you know, well to handle it um, and, and, and do a great job. But again, it's setting expectations. I agree. I think that the biggest problem, you know, setting expectations and managing expectations is one of the things that we talk about in collaborative practice. And that's the thing that I think really it's you're being honest with people and, uh, I think the honesty and sincerity is, is is so key. Let's move on to the next one here. Um, lawyers behaving badly. The ten lawyers disbarred, ten placed on suspension. I have. Um, this is kind of funny. This one pops up because uh, a friend of mine uh, from ARDC is going to be popping back on our show again to try to help people not get um, in a sling. But um, I, you know, it's kind of funny to sometimes go through some of the opinions. And um, the disciplinary uh, actions. What out of here? What do you? What are your thoughts? And what's some of the most common things that you've seen? 
Well, my first thought is you have to be an idiot to get disbarred or suspended from practicing law for the most part in Illinois. Now, I'm not saying that ARDC doesn't ever suspend someone, but for the most part, if you look at why people are getting suspended, it's basically stealing money from mm-hmm. clients or completely mm-hmm. abandoning their clients' cases. You know, there was a guy, um, family law attorney, a couple of years ago who left disparaging voicemails on someone's, you know, answering machine, calling him all kind of, you know, gay slurs and talking about how the guy was going to go to jail and get anally raped and all that stuff. I mean, that guy only got censured, you know. And the point I'm trying to make is you really have to do some serious stuff to lose your license in Illinois. I just don't understand. It's not like as if you're stealing this money, you don't know it's wrong, and you don't know what the repercussions are. This kind of goes back to talking about 10 tips for hiring a lawyer. One of the things I mentioned is do you enjoy your job? These are people that just could not possibly enjoy what they're doing because they're willing to throw it all away, you know, in, in order to make a couple quick, easy bucks. And you just have to be an idiot. But if we look through this list of the 10 that got disbarred, you know, one stole $100,000, another one stole 31000 another one 38, another one 5000 Let's go into this list. You know, a couple of them uh, charged excessive thieves and were just found to be extremely dishonest. A couple of them committed, you know, securities frauds or one of them criminal sexual assault of a child. You know, really major stuff here. So it takes a lot <laughs> I just recognized one. I'm sorry. I just recognized one of the names. Oh, my God. One of your I, classmates? No, no. She was – I had to – you know what? A firm in Westmont had me uh, serve her with something once they hired me as a process server um, to go out and serve this woman. And they said, I don't know what's wrong with her. There was, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I should not laugh. Um, it's I, 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 Truth be told, proof's in the pudding, I guess, right? Yeah, you know, and again, it doesn't take a lot to keep your license and, and succeed. Uh, I, I've certainly had my days where I've probably been more upset with a, a client than, you know, I should have been or lost my, you know, lose your temper or whatever. And, and those are things that, hey, maybe you should be warned, you know, keep your cool, think about how you're treating people, stuff like that. Um, yeah. I would never, ever do anything even close to stealing money. You know, these people that, Aban- literally just abandon their clients, stop returning phone calls for months. Yeah, you know, we had we had a call earlier earlier this week from this uh, one person who's charged with a, a crime in one of the suburban courthouses, and his lawyer who had actually been suspended back in the '90s for a couple of years. We discovered uh, sh- stopped showing up to court, and this is a major felony trial. And the judge is like, where's your lawyer? And the guy's like, I don't know. He's supposed to be here. And then the lawyer ended up saying that he had a family member who died, and that turned out to be a lie. And then finally he just showed up today and begged the judge to let him out of the case because, you know, he just didn't want to handle it. And it's like, why even take on these cases? Why not be straight with people from the get-go? Mm, wow. You know, if you don't want to be a lawyer, don't be a lawyer. <laughs> or, or if you're going to, you know what, if you're going to steal and lose your license, don't do it for five grand. Like, do it for like five billion or something. Right. Take it out of the country. I don't understand. I, why, why would you risk everything for just a small, small fee, you know? You know, and honestly, sometimes I have trouble falling asleep at night when I've lied to my kid about Santa or something, you know, when he's asking me, like, is there really Santa Daddy? You know, and I'm looking in his eye and telling him a lie. Like, I can't imagine the people that are stealing money. How do you sit there and fall asleep at night without that's just eating at you? It's, it's just beyond me. But the good news is the ARDC is at least getting rid of these people. 
Right, uh, right, right. And, and the moral is most of the lawyers in Illinois are honest, and you know they may not all be hardworking, but most of them aren't going to steal your money. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, and a little plug for ARDC, they are there to help people. They're very remedial, um, but they and they will help you. If you are someone who has a beef with your lawyer and you want to file a complaint, they have a great website full of information. The best thing you can do if you want to complain about a lawyer is be knowledgeable about what you sh- expected to have happen, what did not go right, and you know what you have. But again, call the ARDC. They're there to help. Um, you know, Not everyone out there is a thief. <laughs> so uh, we're going to pause for another commercial break be right back and uh, our th- our fourth actually our third commercial sponsor today is uh, Jim Thompson and his Get Clients Now program. He's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach and he can help you get more clients by taking crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is going to be a recurring guest on the Lawyer's Toolbox show that's our Thursday program regarding attorney marketing and to learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group which is his uh, operation you you can visit their website at lawyersmarketingresource.com. Again, that website is Lawyers Marketing Resources. You can also check out testimonials and see what people are saying about them. I will tell you that I have been and am, again, taking this, uh, his program right now uh, with uh, some other people because it's, it's the accountability approach is a really good thing with the Get Clients Now program, and Jim gives us all homework that we have to do and respond, and it helps us. Uh, keep our marketing uh, on track. So it's a, always a good thing. You know, even if you are in the business of doing marketing and PR for other uh, people like I am, you know, I still need, um, you know, some help doing my own because that's just the way it goes sometimes. Now, uh, also, our uh, next commercial sponsor is your very own Law Publicist Communications. A little bit about us here. We can get your clients and colleagues talking about you. Law Publicist Communications is a marketing, public relations, and practice management agency serving lawyers and professional service firms here in Chicago. Our Law Publicist division helps put you on the map and get people talking about you and your firm. And many of the people who hire us write their marketing material. We hire us to work with their marketing material, blogs, and to promote and manage their webinars and events. Our other division called Pleading Draft or Brand Services is also used by people who need help in the office in practice management areas of technology, finance, and management. We really are a full-service agency, and you'd be surprised how many ways we can help you. Please visit our main website for more information at www.alrpra.com. Again, ALRPRA is our uh, parent group under which the two brands exist. Uh, that website's going to be shortly changing to lawpublicist.com uh, within the month here. You can also reach us by telephone directly at 312-854-7149. Again, 312-854-7149. And... Uh, to see how we can help you. Now back to our program, we're going to jump back into Michael Helfland's Real Chicago Real Law blog now. Um, back to this, the next one is 13 Reasons Why Lawyers Aren't Successful. Um, this is something that I'm tempted often to write about. Michael, why do you think so many lawyers are not successful? And other than stealing clients' money, please. <laughs> right, right. You, you know, I refer a lot of cases to some really great attorneys as far as handling the case. Uh, but they have no idea how to run a business. And there's so many different things that they screw up that some of them are just naive or oblivious to what they're doing. Uh, Number one to me is, you know, it's all service-related. You know, they get these – I've got guys I went to law school with, for example, funnest guys ever, like to go out, you know, go to a ball game, go out for some beers, you know, life of the party guys. 
but when they get their lawyer hat on, they're just become the most unapproachable people you've ever met. And it's like they think that they're supposed to act some way, some certain way in front of clients, and that if they don't act that stuffy suit way, that people won't think that they're this smart lawyer. And the reality is, people just want to talk to someone normal who's approachable, you know, and easy to work with. And it's it's crazy to me. I'm not sure we we definitely get taught in law school to act like a stuffed shirt you know, as part of the job, but people just are never trained to really be an attorney and deliver service. Yeah, well, I I know people who are, you know, clients are scared of them because they don't know, you know, they're just very off-putting. And I'm all for being, uh, I think professional courtesy is one of the things that we have sort of lost over the the years. Um, Our society, in my opinion, is getting dumber and dumber every day. Um, But I, I still don't, understand why people have to be so unapproachable and not be real human beings. I think that the lawyers who are the most successful and the people who are going to get the most referrals are those who are likable. I mean, you know, people refer business to people they know, they like, and they trust. Um, you know, you could be the smartest lawyer, the smartest person out there, but if you're difficult to deal with, you know, it's 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 tough. I've got a, uh, a situation right now where um, uh, one of my clients uh, for PR services uh, has an ongoing has a criminal case and we're trying to do rehabilitation rehabilitative work and the lawyer in it's not here in Illinois it's somewhere else but the lawyer is so difficult that you know we never want to bring him questions about things we want to do because the guy just rips our head off all the time and it's just not a good thing so I don't know what are yeah. some other go ahead go ahead oh absolutely and, and you know the rest of them again to me common sense like I hear at least five times a week oh my gosh I can't believe I finally got an attorney on the phone and <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? You find, like, you, well, I've called like ten offices, but no one. I can't get any lawyer to talk to me. And these aren't people with insane issues. I mean, you know, people with everyday legal issues, misdemeanors, divorce cases, some car accidents. It's amazing to me how some lawyers just don't recognize that the most important call is the one that's sitting there right now. And I don't care if you're writing a brief or preparing for a hearing. You got to find out. And you can, if you can't tell within two minutes, hey, this is a case I'd really want or not, you know, shame on you. Um, I always tell people that, you know, we have a policy literally that, you know, we return calls within minutes if we can't pick up the call right away. Um, but there, you should certainly have a 24-hour rule. And even if you're on trial, you know, especially with your existing clients, respond to calls and emails within 24 hours. Uh, a lot of lawyers I know think that if they're in trial mode, they can use that as an ex- used to blow off everything in in their life. But how hard is it to say to a client by email, hey, I got your call, I'm finishing up a trial on Thursday, Uh, let's plan on talking, you know, Friday at 10. Most people are reasonable when accept something like that, but there's a lot of lawyers just ignore, ignore, ignore. And every now and then I'll get calls from, hey, I've been calling my lawyer for five days and he hasn't called me back. Well, that's when they go shopping for someone else and Mm -hmm. you lose your client. Uh, there's other things like, you know, it's 2011. If you have email, which you, of course, have to have, it should be hooked up with your cell phone. And there's a lot of guys I know that say, oh, when, you know, 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock hits, you know, I don't want to think about work anymore. Well, you know what? It's a 24-hour job if you're going to do a good job. And the reality is you can look at your email and know hey, this is something I want to get on, and this is something that I don't need to get on. And, you know, one of the biggest cases I've ever been a part of 
uh, was something I got because I responded to an email I got from my answering service at 9 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And in most of these cases, especially when they're first looking for a lawyer, the first competent person the client talks to is the one that they're going to hire. And they may not even be the best lawyer for their case. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's just, again, it should be common sense stuff, Nick, but so many people screw this up. And, but the one that drives me the craziest because I'm, you know, my business is basically website marketing is you go to these lawyers' websites and they've got a blog. You know, it's highlighted right on top of their website. You know, visit our blog. Sometimes they even send out emails, visit our blog, and they haven't updated it for a year and a half. And basically <laughs> what right. happened is, you know, they started it, they did like three posts, they realized, hmm, this is kind of hard, and they just stopped doing it instead of actually having a plan. And it does not cost a ton of money to hire someone to write your thoughts for you. Or... Even better, once a week, sit down and write a post. Take 20 minutes and do it. This is your business. But so many lawyers just are lazy or not organized or don't care. I don't know what, and it drives me bonkers. Yeah, it's a little it's a it's a frustrating thing because you know, and the I mean, to you know, plug self, you know, self plug here, but I mean, that's what we do for the, a lot of these guys and they just don't have the time to do it. And you know, and I even have a hard time sometimes when I'm working with uh, some people, just getting them to respond. I mean, I want them to approve the copy before I publish it, and I can't even get that half the time. So you know, it's, it's it's a very frustrating thing, and I just don't know another way around it. And again, I think that by and one of the reasons, you know, whether you hire someone to do it or do it yourself, just get it done because it makes it look like you don't care. Um, it's the same thing about having if you're going to participate in social media, actually participate. You know, you can just just because you have something set up doesn't mean that you're going to you know get anything out of it. You need to work these things. You know, these are tools. You need to use the tools. Just putting the tools on the table and having the tools isn't good enough. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know. I, I, again, I just don't get it. I really, really don't get it. I mean, it's, along with like being nice to your clients, something that seems like it should be common sense, but there are some attorneys out there that just yell at their clients and put them down. Why would you do that? I mean, do you hate practicing law that much that you just want to be the biggest ass you can be? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, and if you don't want to practice law, there are plenty of other people who will take your client because they Absolutely. are looking. They are looking for them. There are plenty of other people out there. Let's. How about this about lawyer sharing? I like this. This one's kind of interesting. Um, oftentimes, you know, because I, I, I mean, I came out of family law, and that was kind of a common. Thing, you'd be more surprised than, than not how often people will show up and say, oh, you know, so-and-so is going to get a lawyer. My husband can afford one, but I don't want Let's use the same lawyer. Yeah, you know, people just don't know, and I don't blame the public on this, but you can't share a lawyer, even in an amicable situation. A lawyer is ethically prohibited from representing both har- both parties in the case. And what I always tell people is if you're not sure if the lawyer is representing you or not, guess what? They're not. Uh, sometimes it's not going to hurt you if you have an agreed divorce and you have nothing to fight over, no kids, no property, no bank account, and you happen to go to someone else's office, you know, that's your, your, your spouse found, well, you know, you're probably not going to get burned. But there's a lot of times where people say, oh, we're just going to use the same lawyer to make things easier. And what will happen is that lawyer will recognize things and rights that you're giving up, and they cannot tell you how you're screwing yourself. They can tell the other guy, but they can't tell you. And what will end up happening is, uh, you know, you'll be losing out, 
and you won't realize it until it's too late. And then you can't go back and say, hey, you know, I wish I had an attorney now because the time's gone. Uh, it just, again, it's something where the lawyer really has responsibility. And I, and I really do blame the lawyer for, say, for not saying, look, you should have your own representation. Or just to be crystal clear, I'm not representing you. I'm representing them. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's just it's surprising me again you can't fix stupid and right. it, it, you know and there are people who are just that stupid and you know you get what you pay for if you walk around the, uh you know in in life and and make decisions like that but um you know and again i think many of the people who think that they can't afford a lawyer might be surprised if you have um if you're short on cash or you know otherwise qualified there are plenty of pro bono organizations out there um and people who are there you know you can even um you know i believe that they still do the interim fee petition you know in family law cases where you know, if you can't afford the lawyer, you ask the court to order your the spouse who can to uh, you know pay for for you to have representation. I mean, there are all sorts of options. Just look, absolutely, you know, do your homework. Try. You have to try. That's my biggest thing. Try. Absolutely, no, absolutely. And you know, even when things are seem to be straightforward, there are just a lot of risks involved. Uh, you know, one of the things you know we've talked about before is real estate transactions. And we'll find that people are like buying houses from a developer, and you know the developer's so nice, and the developer hooked me up with my mortgage person and got me this great rate, and they got me the home inspector that got me this great rate, and they tell me now, hey, our lawyer's going to be at the closing, you don't have to worry about it, and hey, everything's gone so well, you know, what should I be worried about? But the reality is, there are things to worry about. There could be liens on the property, there could be questions as to what's going to happen if something's not fixed you know, or breaks down after you, you buy it. And, you know, things may go well, but the reality is if they go wrong, it's going to cost you a heck of a lot more to solve your problem if the problem can even be solved. So oh, and, it's almost and, like insurance. Exactly. Here's another uh, point that I'd like to bring up. If you're, uh, I heard a person once say, oh, you know, tell their lawyer, no, don't go to court for status. Let go, just get an agreement and let the other guy go because they didn't want to pay the time to go to status. And right. the and guess what happened? Well, the, the the person who they thought they had the agreement with didn't exactly tell the judge the same thing. And they got a bad order and they screwed themselves. It's like, you know. I, you I, know, I, absolutely. And we hear stories all the time of people saying, oh, the other lawyer said I don't have to go up to co- go to court. That often happens on, like, collection matters. Yeah, don't well, worry about what's it. Gonna, right. What's going to happen is they're going to enter a default judgment against you. You're gonna, they're going to get everything that they want. And the judge is going to look at it as you basically screwed the court over by not showing up when the reality is you just were – naive and listen to someone else and you've got to stand up for yourself and take responsibility for yourself or you you know you're going to lose out Right, right. Ignorance is not um, ignorance is not an excuse. Uh, um, you know, I told the same thing. I told my brother who just moved into the city from DuPage, and he didn't understand and didn't know about when he was supposed to get a city sticker or not or whatnot. And is you know looking at getting you know it's almost getting tickets, and it's just like it's just because you don't understand and don't know. You have the responsibility, and this is just a general civics lesson. Uh, you right. have the responsibility as a citizen of the, of the state of Illinois, uh, you know, and, and of you know. General 
generally, generally speaking, in our society, you have a responsibility to know what you're doing. You're an adult. You're conducting your affairs in your business. Um, don't just take whatever anyone sells for granted. It's just it's surprising how often that happens. We're going to pause quickly for our uh, third break here. This is the point in the show where we bring you some law practice management resources. First one from ABA Books, uh, ABA Book of the Day, is called The Young Litigator, Tips on Rainmaking, Writing, and Trial Practice, Whatever Young Litigator Needs to Know. The description of the book is that young lawyers entering into the practice of law can be overwhelmed by the amount of information they must obtain to create and maintain a productive and successful law practice. Most practicing attorneys know that the education received in law school is only a small portion of the knowledge that is needed, and needed as quickly as possible. This book is a compilation of articles from the ABA section of litigation chosen by young practicing lawyers that seeks to guide young litigators in their first days, months, and years in the practice of law. These articles are divided into three key areas, rainmaking, writing, and trial practice. Uh, Next, from Law Bulletin Publishing Company, when you subscribe to the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and the Chicago Lawyer Magazine, you will receive up-to-date legal news from Chicago and around Illinois. Also, check out the Law Bulletin blog, Attorneys in Transition, which offers advice and tips for those lawyers going through a career transition. It also hosts a monthly career seminars for lawyers in flux in their careers. I am one of the weekly advice columnists published by the Attorneys in Transition site, and I do hope that you visit and leave your comments at attorneysintransition.com. Finally, George Finder is our final commercial sponsor. Uh, Your credit score and reputation are valuable assets, and if you suffer from damage to that credit score, you should consider your damages. Credit damage expert George Finder is his name. He's an expert who can put a dollar amount on damage to your credit score. George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and attorneys and plaintiffs who've retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas, such as personal injury, employment law, family law, and general civil litigation. A website with more information is www.creditdamageexpert.com. And to learn more about George Finder and his expert services, uh, you can also be in touch with me if you have questions about how you can incorporate these credit damage questions into your intake process. Now back to our show before we uh, finish out here. We want to remind those who do find our advertisements for these shows in their social networks to please share them with others and spread the good word. We like to bring you uh, entertainment and consumer-based information on our Tuesday show, the Consumer's Law Journal. Then on Thursday, we are all about practice management with the Lawyer's Toolbox where we uh, hit on everything from marketing, management, technology, and finance. Now, back to Michael Halfland and uh, talking about the Chicago's Real Law blog. These are all uh, Michael's articles. And the next one, which I love the image for the one, the breaking up can be easy to do. Let me just read the text. There's... um, Uh, a hand-drawn image here. It says, Dear Janet, I think we should break up. I would tell you why, but I am having a tough time describing my feelings. So I drew a picture of me riding a giraffe instead. (laughs) You know, I I have to say, I've never had better... uh, I had a whole uh, gallery of breakup letters in this post. So even if you don't think that the post is very interesting, looking at the breakup letters themselves are certainly worth visiting the site and and reviewing them because they're absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Better than a voicemail. I heard someone yesterday who told me that their husband left and uh, left it on the machine. <laughs> nice. Yeah. There's, there's one in the gallery of pictures that says, you know, I'm leaving you. You know this isn't working. <laughs> I'm taking the dog. Let's be honest, he hates you too <laughs> or something like that. Nice. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. 
But you're talking here about also about you know business relationships and how um, business uh, partnerships are like marriages. Same thing that Laurel Bellow said when she was on talking about executive compensation agreements. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, everyone when you're starting a business, and I was this way, and I made this mistake, although we you know fixed it after a couple of years. But you start a business, you get excited, and the last thing you're thinking about is what's going to happen when it doesn't work out or when we can't get along anymore or you want to leave or I want to leave or you know we brought in a partner we want to get rid of them if you don't have a partnership agreement that outlines all these things you're basically asking for chaos now a lot of businesses especially startups you know they don't want to spend the money it takes on a lawyer to get an agreement put in place and when i started my business you know 10 and a half years ago uh honestly i didn't even think to have a partnership agreement and we Got one done after about two years in practice, but you know the reality is a, a partnership agreement is like a blueprint for how the business is going to work and what's going to happen if things go wrong. And what it does and what it can save you tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, is it says these are your duties and responsibilities. There's a, their duties and responsibilities, and if I want out, this is how I can get out, and this is how I'm going to get compensated. And it's like having a prenup. Uh, but it's a prenup for your business, and if you don't have one and you have this idea that your business is going to go perfect forever and your partners and you are never going to have problems, well, you're just kind of dreaming because, you know, how many businesses don't have problems at some point or a partner that wants to leave? Yeah, yeah. What what types of things did you um, – have you seen that people most often forget to put in those? Well, you know, for example, let's say you've leased office space. You know, and now someone says, "Hey, this isn't working. We're not making any money. I've got to go, go back to take a real job." You know, who's responsible for those ongoing obligations or you know other contracts you guys might have? Uh, you know, what if? You know, we've seen a lot of times where, you know, you've got like three cousins that started a business together. You know, and two of them want to continue, but one of them wants to be out. And he says, "This business is worth five million dollars." Well, the reality is they don't have five million dollars in cash or a million dollars in cash, but they think that's what it projects to be worth. Well, mm-hmm. how are you going to get that guy out? Or the biggest one we see is, oh, so-and-so is not doing anything to help the business, or they're really interfering, or we think that they're trying to start their own side business. And you know, if you don't have a partnership agreement that talks about fiduciary duty and the obligation to protect the interests of your partners and stuff like that, you know, it's... You know, it's a free-for-all, basically. And that's not to say that these things can't ever work out, but what's going to require is years of litigation and a ton of money on lawyer fees. And who wants to do that? On the flip side, you lay it all out in the beginning. It can be amended at any time if things change. But it, it really it acts as a security blanket. And the best thing to me is if you've got a, a partner that isn't, you know, meeting their obligations or maybe stealing clients, you know, you've got this document that they've signed that can be used against them that really paints them into a corner, you know, where they can't say, well, I thought I could do this or I thought I could do this. Well, you're wrong because your business partnership agreement says you couldn't do that and you couldn't do that, and and it's going to help you. But, again, people don't want to think about breaking up when they're starting off a relationship. Yeah, and it's yeah, that's true. No one thinks it's gonna go sour, and and you just it's. I don't think people. Yeah, I, when you think about what can go wrong, um, you know, it's almost. I don't know. People just don't like doing that. Um, you know. So again, I think it's very much worthwhile to have someone else who knows all of what can go wrong uh, take a look at that. So. 
Sure, and, you know, and, it, and it can be anything you want it to be. You know, one of the things we see is, you know, you'll find, you know, you have two partners. One of them's a single guy. One of them is married. And now has two kids. Well, the married guy with two kids is thinking about saving money for his kids' college, and maybe wants to buy a house in the suburbs. Where the single guy is thinking about nothing other than the business, and you know, maybe going out on the weekends. And they can't agree on how they're going to distribute profits. And maybe they've got a hundred thousand dollars in profits this quarter, and the single guy wants to reinvest. 80 grand of it back into the business where the married guy wants to take 50 grand, you know, for himself and 50 grand for you. Well, that's a good way to, you know, end a business and end up a, re- a relationship if you can't agree on these things. On the other hand, you got this document that says, you know, we agree that, you know, for every X amount of dollars taken in, unless otherwise agreed, we're going to, you know, only take out Y. Well, it, it solves a lot of problems. Yeah, it does. And again, it's true that people don't contemplate what could possibly happen. You don't know that you're, you know, if you're, you know, single now, you might not always be single. You might be married now and not be married later. There there are so many other things that can come. I mean, the, you know, what happens if they're, you know, the building gets sold in which you're renting office space, then what do you do? You know, so there's a lot there. We have time for one more. Tell me about 11 dumb laws. You know, I can't take any credit for this one. I was uh, flipping through Maxim magazine one day, and uh, you know, of course, looking for articles just like this. And uh, they had a, a list of what I thought was just really funny of just kind of stupid laws in other countries. And you know, uh, one of them, you know, I'm a big soccer fan, soccer geek, and the World Cup is going to go into Qatar in 2022. And one of the things is it's illegal to insult someone uh, in public in Qatar, which you know, I'm not sure how uh, they deal with that. Uh, a famous one from years ago, a kid from Ohio ended up in uh, Singapore and got caned for littering. Well, you also can't have chewing gum there, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, there's some other kind of just silly ones. None of them uh, were from the United States, although a little you know preview for you in a couple of weeks we've we've actually because of this post started researching stupid laws in the United States and we're going to have a, a blog post about that nice uh some of them you just kind of wonder where this came up from like you can't sing dance or eat in the streets of Rome in groups of 3 or more now i don't really understand what could possibly you know would be the point of that but uh in Thailand you can't leave your house without underwear which i thought was pretty funny I'm not sure how they go about enforcing that rule, but um, hey. And then the one that I still didn't really get and kind of sounds disgusting to me is you can't flush a toilet in Switzerland after 10 p.m. Uh, at night. Now I'm not sure when you can start flushing again the next day, but uh, it just kind of sounds a little disgusting to me, especially having two little boys that seem to be on the toilet every 10 minutes. <laughs> I don't know how I'd feel about that. Too funny. There's yeah. There are. So you know what happens if you you know do, do you ever hear about people trying to remove uh, old bad laws? You know, every now and then. You know, the funny thing to me is most people don't even know that these laws exist. Yeah. And uh, you know, you know, so I, it doesn't come up too often unless you know. The other thing is some of these laws just don't get enforced. Is what is what you find and laws uh, about you know, tearing and, t- where to tie your horse up and such. It, it, exactly, you know, and stuff that just could have been anticipated, you know, hundred years ago. Um, so for, fortunately, we don't hear about the stuff. There's 
and a more serious note, I mean, there was a big thing years ago because in some of the southern states, like sodomy was illegal, and you know they were you try, some you know cops were trying to use that to go after you know homosexual couples, you know, just in a purely prejudiced way. Uh, so some of those laws had to get addressed. Uh, but the reality is, you know, most of these laws it's on the books, but you know, it's really not on the books. Wow. Too funny. Well, we look forward to that uh, that article uh, about all the laws. Have fun researching dumb laws. Let's take a minute. Why don't you uh, give us a little plug about Fine Great Lawyers? I know it's your 10th anniversary. Tell us a little bit about uh, Fine Great Lawyers and how that helps people. Sure. You know, I, since basically 2001, I've been running a service that allows people to call a lawyer and ask questions for free. And hopefully, as I've tried to do on this radio show, I try to talk in as plain of English and as bluntly as I can and giving honest advice to people. And if I can just give people advice and send them on their way so they can go on with their lives, I do. Sometimes people need an attorney. And if they need an attorney, I go based on uh, who I think would be the best person for the situation of the lawyers that I know. And, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, signs of good attorneys. I mean, that's what guides me. You know, really, what's the best for your unique situation and who would I recommend to a family member or a friend in a similar situation? And so in a little over 10 years, we've helped over 150,000 people with minor stuff like traffic tickets and little problems with neighbor, neighbors to major stuff like you know, deaths and complex civil litigation issues and everything in between. And I definitely can't help and don't help everyone, but we try our best, and you know, we've certainly helped a lot of people in 10 years. Yeah, great. So the website again is? FindGreatLawyers.com. Wonderful. Michael, thank you for your time again today. We look forward to uh, talking to you again about a month from now. Thank you, Nick. All right. Thank you. And we'd also like to thank our commercial sponsors. We'd like to thank first Nancy K. Ducharme of the Law Offices of Nancy K. Ducharme. Secondly, Steve Fretzen and Sales Results Incorporated. Third, Jim Thompson of the Midwest Consulting Group and the Get Clients Now program. And fourth, credit damage expert George Finder. For our archive shows, you can always go to our Law Talk Radio page on our website. And again, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program. The advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice, and results may vary based on your facts and location. Communication with attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. Programming is politically neutral. Objective counterpoints to views expressed are always welcome. Law Talk Radio is produced by Law Publicist Communications, an ALR PRA Incorporated agency. And Law Talk Radio does not necessarily endorse all of the opinions expressed by its guests. Finally, all callers remain confidential and rights to this broadcast are reserved. Again, these Law Talk Radio broadcasts are, uh, episodes are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences tips, tools, and practice area information as well as news they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With our guests and listeners located uh, worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick August the law publicist for Law Talk Radio, and we thank you for your time.